You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Tim and David, phone home. Tech fan number 159, I'm Tim Robertson, joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Hello. So uh, astute listeners of the podcast will realize quickly that we replaced our music, our opening theme this week. Yeah, it's permanent, so it's going to be like every week. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we won't get in trouble, but if we do, we do. Uh, it's appropriate because uh, I sent David a link yesterday, uh, Saturday. We're actually recording the show two days later this week. And the reason is uh, we were we couldn't do it until now. <laughs> but the reason for our, the music, David, um, an old video game Atari urban legend was uh, came to a close this week. Yeah, well, it's, I guess it's in some ways it's not come to a close because it's reopened an awful lot of questions and. As 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 with many things, when you start digging into the truth of something, you're actually ending up creating more questions than you started with. But uh, yeah, this was. And I, I I seem to remember we we talked about this a while back when they first talked about doing this. So back in the early '80s, back when you and I were really into video games for the first time round, um, there was the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, uh, and the biggest. Film of the summer of uh, summer of eighty three, I think, was was E. T. By and, far, but well, yeah. I mean, people for, people who haven't lived through this don't realize E. T. was like one of the first mega blockbusters. Yeah, in that it it was huge, and it was one of those. It's a bit like Toy Story. It's one of those fil- first films that appealed equally to kids and to adults. Um, it was enormous, and Atari wanted to cash in on this, and they spent a lot of money buying the rights to do a video game adaptation of the movie and then kind of screwed the pooch by giving the their, one of their best programmers five weeks to turn it out so it's ready for the holiday season. Yeah, you, uh, you can't really blame the programmer. I mean, this guy no. got the project to do E.T. and he had five weeks to do it. And that's literally impossible. I mean, you at least it should be. And in this, this was, case, it yeah. kind of was. I mean, the this, game... Well, this, and this guy had Real chops, and the reason yeah, they gave oh, absolutely. it to me is because he'd done Yars Revenge, which at the time was the biggest selling game on the uh, Atari twenty six hundred. Yeah, um, and Yars Revenge uh, was a fantastic game, even to this day. It's a good game. I actually, I was reading the story, and then I played it last night. I went onto my, uh, I have the Atari Classics uh, game on my iPad, so I went in and played that. And my wife looks at my shoulder and said, "What? What's that? What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. So, but. Um, and, and actually something that, that came to my mind when I was playing Yard's Revenge because I actually couldn't figure out how to play it very well <laughs> until I read the instructions. And I think this was a, a hallmark of this guy's games because E.T. was very badly received. received. It bombed. Um, and a, one of the reasons that, that apparently is born now is that unless you read the instructions, it's really hard to play. You don't understand what's going on, and many people didn't. So anyway, this game... Um, has been frequently cited as the beginning of the end, which led to the great video game crash at the end of 1983, which kind of did for Atari and um, for Almost most of the other players. Yeah, most of the other players in, in that first video game boom. Um, and what the legend always was, that Atari 
had massively produced numbers of cartridges of this ET game. Uh, In and fact, had to- they made so they made more of the ET cartridges games than they had ever made of the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, and their reasoning was uh, ET directed by Steven Spielberg is going to be so huge, and they knew this. Um, the video game is going to be equally huge. Anybody who doesn't have an Atari is going to go out and buy an Atari just to play this game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was... A, that was um, they chose poorly, I think, is, yeah. <laughs> is a comment there. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it ended up in landfill in New Mexico. And um, Did you ever have this game? I, I don't think so, because we, we kind of got into the Atari... A couple of days after the crash, uh, a couple of years after the crash, I mean, um, because the the only time we ever had was the one we had in the states. Mm-hmm. Um, my family used to we had the house in Florida, so we used to fly over every summer and spend our summers there. So the first thing we used we, the kids we kids used to do when we got out there was pull out the Atari console, hook it up, and we'd been given a whole load of cartridges from people who didn't use them anymore, um, and uh, we'd bought a few on sale and that sort of thing, but we never bought the ET one. Um, so. I did. I got it that Christmas. Yeah. yeah, it was terrible. And I read the instructions, and it was still terrible. The problem is is that, unfortunately, what the um, what the guy did is instead of most, most people who churn up video game adaptations take the, the exciting parts of the movie and do something with a, you know, in the video game with that, and, and he didn't do that. It was like a puzzle game. Yep. Where you had to try to find parts of the phone to, to, phone, to get E.T. to phone home, and... Um, it just it just wasn't very engaging. From, no, it, from the times, it was terrible. From the times I've played it, it just it seemed to be very slow because all you were doing was wandering around from screen to screen trying to find bits and pieces. Right, in itself doesn't sound too bad. I mean, there was a lot of games that kind of did something similar, but just it was everything about this game from the execution to the graphics. I mean, it was granted it was Atari twenty six hundred, so you can't hope for too much. But the controls were weak. Um, it just wasn't a good game on any level. I read actually yesterday an interview with the developer who said if he'd have had maybe about another week and a half, he reckoned he could have got it pretty good, but he just ran out of time. Yeah, well. So, um, you know, there there we go. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, this, this landfill story has become effectively a, a, a yardstick for that crash. Yeah, and this was the big to- urban legend yeah. that... Everyone always talked about. I'd heard the story even going back into the 80s. I remember um, first year of high school, 10th grade, uh, because my 10th grade was uh, middle school for me was 7th, 8th, and 9th. And then high school was 10th, 11th, and 12th. Even though technically 9th grade, I'm in junior high, that was technically being a freshman. But regardless, my, my first year in uh, high school, uh, I met a guy. And he was a big video game guy like me. He was way into Nintendo. And one of the things he, I remember he wanted to do was to go to New Mexico and try to find all these E.T. games that he had heard Atari had buried out in the desert. And, uh, you know, when someone tells you something like that, it kind of sticks with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought, that's a weird thing to want to do. And I said, what do you mean they buried him in the desert? And he says, well, they made so many that they couldn't sell them. So they just buried him in the desert. And I never understood at the time why you would do that. Why why not just sell them for a dime then? You know, flood the market for 10 cents each. They'll Somebody will buy them. 
but nobody wanted to buy them. That was the problem. Yeah, um, I, the, the, I think this is the thing. It's the fact that I mean, obviously, even that that what you were told there, they were buried in the desert, is a distortion of what happened. Mm. It was you can you can look up the New York Times story where it was reported it back in eighty three. Well, but um, nobody here in Battle Creek, Michigan, could look up. No, no, but from of course, three back, years yeah, before. This, this is this is the this is the thing, you know. Um, this is how legends get generated; right. they get passed past mouth to mouth. So it wasn't like I mean, yes, <laughs> technically Alamogordo, New Mexico, is in the desert, but it's not like when you, when somebody said they were buried in the desert, it's like somebody drove out a fleet of trucks into a desert in the middle of the night, dug a huge pit just for that, and put right. the things That's in, what it so nobody like. would ever find them. Right. In fact, it was not, it was a landfill. The um, the story I read said said that they had security guards there to stop people going in and stealing. The cartridges. Yep. They actually covered covered the cartridges in concrete after they put them all in there to make sure that nobody would go digging them up. Um, and the, there were there's there's apparently other stuff there, and it wasn't just because it was the failure of ET. No, it was they closed a factory, yep. and um, the factory had to clear its inventory. So that's what it was. However, a lot of the inventory was um, ET. Yeah, they clearly they clearly had been storing ET cartridges there. So um, I mean I mean it just. To me, there's there's a few things that kind of catch me about this that, re- in in some ways, reflect some of the problems I think we face with the modern entertainment industry now. It's the hubris of uh, of Atari at the time to make so much inventory for something they didn't know when it's been successful, and yet having having made so much industry, assumed that it was going to be so successful despite the fact that they. Uh, you know, they they didn't put any real effort into turning out the product. Yeah. You know, um, they they basically said, oh well, it doesn't. It's got the ET name, and it, so it doesn't matter what crap we put in the cartridges. Um, but and to be so fair get- to them, up until that point, pretty much everything that Atari released was a big deal. When a new game that had some good marketing punch behind it came out, it sold. Because there really wasn't a whole lot of competition. Yes, it was the ColecoVision and the Intellivision, but none of those had the cachet of games that Atari had. Atari had all the marketing. Every kid, uh, at least here in the United States, had an Atari. Everybody did. It was the thing to have from, you know, 78, 79 through 83. Everybody had one. And if you didn't have one, you wanted one. And when Atari released a new game, you'd see it in the back of comic books. Uh, I mean, just go back to some of the old comic books at the time, and you'll see ads for E.T. the video game. I mean, they promoted the crap out of this. It was on television. E.T. was on lunchboxes, T-shirts. E.T. phone home was the catchphrase. I mean, it was was everywhere. So Atari had every, you know, confidence that this game would sell. The uh, apparently the total production budget, including uh, marketing, was one hundred twenty-five million dollars. Yeah, and, so and they spent about thirty thousand dollars on making the game. Uh, no more than that. According uh, <laughs> to Wikipedia, the the program was offered a two hundred thousand dollar bonus if he could do it in five weeks. Yeah, uh-huh. and and a holiday in, in Hawaii. Huh. So um, at least somebody made out like a bandit for it. Yeah, well, you know, he was as I said, he was their, one of their star programmers. So you figure out all that money. Ninety-nine percent of it went to marketing. Uh, I would imagine so. Oh, uh, and, and obviously yeah. the cost off the cost of the license originally. I think they paid about twenty-five million dollars for yeah. the license. So, but you know that it should have been a, a, a huge game for Atari. It should have it should have cemented their place in a, in the in the holiday 
of 83 as once again Atari knocks it out of the ballpark. But at that point, by the time the the Christmas holiday ran around or came around in 83, people were getting a little tired of Atari. It was, yeah, the games are starting to, you know, they didn't look significantly different than they did five years before. And there's only so much you can do with, you know, a joystick and one button. And people were getting a little tired of it. There's always going to be another thing coming down the road. And arcades, the, the graphics for those arcade machines were fantastic. So, and they were only getting better by 83. So, yeah, people were getting a little tired of the Atari 2600. Uh, I mean, it's always a problem with a with a video game console that uh, obviously as soon as you start development on it at that point it kind of gets set in stone yep um and yes you can with clever programming you can build on the capabilities system over time but only to a degree but you got to remember um, though that the not, atari 2600 do... was running on 1976 yeah technology yeah i mean that's when that chip came out was 75 i mean <laughs> nowadays you can get away with i mean look the xbox 360 has amazing games on it even till today even though the xbox one and the ps4 is out the games on the previous generation are fantastic games with fantastic graphics that wasn't the case it didn't move quite that fast in set between 77 and 83 in, in computer technology it really didn't it was slow well part of the reason for that was that um Back in the early, I mean, people we, people kind of forget this now, but back in the early days of computers, you they threw a design together, and then they just never revised it. That's right. You know, they 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 look they expected to get four or five years of life out of out of a system, but of course, in those times, the um, the capabilities were moving on hugely because they were starting from such a low base that's true i, I remember when the ColecoVision came out everyone was amazed by how good it was compared to the other systems it was more like an atari or uh, i'm sorry it was more like a an arcade game yeah well, well that was one of its selling points was that donkey kong the ColecoVision was as close as you were going to get to having an arcade game in your yep. home so that was the urban legend they go and they get rid of all of these et cartridges and they bury them out in the desert now, of course, that just means that they put them in a landfill, and it wasn't just E.T., uh, as we know now. Uh, a documentary crew decided that they wanted to investigate and actually get permission to go digging in this landfill, which, ooh, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> that's what I want to do. I want to go yeah. dig in a landfill for something that's 30 yeah. years old. 30 years of trash. That's right. And uh, that's what they did. And they started digging just recently, and they already found them yeah it's uh it wasn't just a legend it was the truth as david said that there was stories in the new york times but even so the people that were in charge of doing it at the time they never really came out and said anything about it so it, it kind of seemed more legend than truth well not, i remember actually reading a some time ago that that apparently the programmer of, of the ET game had said it wasn't true. Right. He said, "Oh no, that is an urban legend. Uh, urban legend that never happened." That uh, was reported. I remember reading that too. That was probably four yeah. or five years ago. Yeah. Well, he was on hand at this uh, site yesterday, and they excavated what they're calling at least hundreds from their initial discovery. 
uh, hundreds of ET games as well as Centipede um, and some other ones. They found it. They found some old Dusty 2600 joysticks buried in the landfill. That was the first thing they started. That's, that's what they found first. Uh, and then they found an ET, the extraterrestrial cartridge, and a box, and then instruction manuals, and the confirmation of a lot more down there. How many more, they just don't know yet. But at this point, they can safely report that these long-buried cartridges are actually 100% there. Uh, and what's interesting as well is that they, they're they kind of dumped as was. They weren't shredded or destroyed nope. in any way. No, some of them and, are still uh, shrink-wrapped. Yeah. And remember, these how are long, cartridges. How long so before somebody takes one of those and plugs it into a 2600? And oh, it's already it. happened. Are you kidding yeah. me? Are you, <laughs> I, you know, Major Nelson from uh, the Xbox fame, he's yeah. got one. And I guarantee you, as soon as he gets home, he's going to plug it in and see if it still works. And I got here's the thing, David. If it was buried the way they say, and I'm looking at these pictures, um, I guarantee you they still work. Yeah. Sold this state. No reason why not. Right. And yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I love stuff like this, David. I got to be honest. It's. Well, archaeology is, is an, I think, is always think is an amazing. I think so too. Science to be able to, to, go back through time effectively and just from effect looking at people's trash i mean that's what archaeology is absolutely it's either it's either dead people or trash yep. figuring things out that happened in the past is an amazing pursuit uh, i can see why people get get really interested in it but the, obviously this is i suppose it's in it, it's interesting to say that this is something that's well within living memory and yet it still has mythos and uncertainty around it well and, it, it uh, touches on the atari 2600 which we still kind of have a, a love affair of at least the memory of of playing those games now obviously you go play those games now mm, they're not as good as you remember right no no but you still have that nostalgic factor well the thing is so many of us spent hundreds of hours absolutely playing those systems yep and then you have the nostalgia of et I mean, it's still one of the biggest movies of all time that's never had a sequel. I mean, think about that. As much money as E.T. made, and it's still 30 years later in our consciousness. It's still right there. You can hum the music that we played at the beginning of the show, and people still know what that music's for. There was one movie, that was it. And Uh, it was done by the biggest director of our generation. And, well, not only that, I mean, for a long time... Uh, and maybe who knows where maybe the experience of the video game was part of this he he it was never available on video nope it was about 10 years before it started coming out on video yep. or, or or being shown on the tv um because he didn't want it seen any other way uh, and then, then of they- course you know 10 years ago et comes to our forefront again because steven spielberg pulls a george lucas <laughs> goes in digitally removes all the guns that the FBI agents are holding holding and replaces yeah. them with walkie-talkies which ugh i ha- i hate that i hate that it's it's one thing to add some creatures into the background in a Star Wars movie because it doesn't affect anything it doesn't change anything it it actually might make it a little better in that you know Moss Eisley's now really seems like a port city they couldn't do it the way they wanted to back in the day. They just didn't have the budget. They couldn't make that many costumes. They didn't have digital creatures. But now George Lucas can go in and make it look like a real port. Things are going on. You see stormtroopers in the background, so it's a little bit more scary than it was in the original film. But in E.T., taking the guns out 
of FBI agents' hands and replacing them with walkie-talkies. That's political. That's not making the film better. It's not adding any realism to it. That's how it was. That's what made it scary that these kids were trying to get away from these FBI guys. Uh, and also, and the whole one of the whole one of the whole things about the um, about that movie for me was the menace. Was the uh, you know that that scene where when the when the government figures out where ET is and they come, you know they they shroud the house in plastic and come come in in spacesuits. You yeah. know, everyone's screaming and all of that. The whole point about that is that uh, up until that point, it's been a it's been relatively gentle, relatively you know wondrous about about the friendship between this boy and this alien, and all of a sudden it becomes you know the adults take over and the tone completely changes. Absolutely. So having and let's face it, I mean in 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 today's society, you bet that people be there with guns. I mean that's that's the way everyone you know. <laughs> It's an extraterrestrial. They, well, not yeah, exactly. Somebody somebody called out a SWAT team on their friend uh, on somebody a couple of weeks ago because they beat them on Call of Duty. For yep. God's sake, I mean that that's what people do nowadays. We live in this very militarized societies, and um, you know back then it was exactly the same. People wouldn't have thought. Wouldn't I mean clearly they didn't have a second thought about it when they filmed it originally. So why change it? Because his political viewpoint on guns changed, and that's the absolutely the wrong reason to go back and meddle with something like that. In some in some respects, and to me as well, the thing about I mean the 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 kind the main agent, the, the guy with the keys, and all you ever saw was the keys, yep. and the keys were threatening. Yeah, because he had this big bundle of keys. But as you grow older, you come to realize because he that character becomes much more sympathetic once you get to understand him. Sure. Yeah, he actually is more sympathetic in the movie because all he wants to do is do what Elliot wants to do and find out about the alien. He It's just that he lives in a world where he's surrounded by the agents and the scientists and the doctors and all that sort of thing. But he has that same level of wonder that Elliot does. Yep. Uh, but the point is, is is and, and so the juxtaposition between him with just the keys and everyone else with the guns, I think is something that worked really well. And if, as soon as you take everyone else's guns away, then it doesn't. Yep. So uh, I, I would question that choice, but but so there you go. For all that's... of these reasons, E.T. has stayed within the, the consciousness of moviegoers for 30 years. It's still there. My kids yeah. watched E.T. for the first time like a year ago. Loved it. Just loved it. And it's the original. It's the non-messed with version. I don't, don't think my kids have ever seen that. <laughs> I'll have to rectify that. They'll love it. I mean, it's yeah. just one of those movies that it, it, it's timeless in that regard. You know, it's kids, it's Halloween, it, it's strange, he lures it with candy, um, he's nice, you know, they, they get it. And then bad people come and they want to get it away from the bad people and there's kind of magic in it when the bikes fly and he brings a flower to life and there's a spaceship and he leaves so it's emotional and the kids get teary and it, it's, a, it's a timeless movie and it's a fantastic movie. Yeah. So you add that in with the urban legend of this game based on that movie being buried. We live in a very geeky culture now. I mean, geek culture rules the world right now when it comes to entertainment. You know, from big flat plasma TVs and LED TVs to high-speed internet to super powerful game systems to tablets where the biggest thing on tablets and their phones our video games, I know everyone likes to think it's other thing. It's not. It's, it's video games. That's what's driving the sale of all these devices. It really is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
geek culture rules right now. It really does. And I, th- that brings me to another point I want to talk after our break here, David. Um, so you combined all of that stuff in a documentary film wanting to go in and mythbuster this thing. And it turns yep. out to be true. I wanted it to be true. I wanted them to find the video games. I don't know why I was so excited about when I read that they were actually going to do this. A part of me actually wanted to be out there for this discovery, you know? And like you said, it's in, it's, it was just 30 years ago. So it's yeah. not that long ago. It's not like they're finding Pompeii for the first time here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, but it, it's amazing. And it got me thinking, you know, some of the things that we never thought we'd see. I never thought they would, this would ever happen from the first time I heard about this. This would just be one of those urban legends you know, that we would we would never know about. This was the Richard Gere and the gerbil thing. You know, we'll never know. Yeah. And yet, here we are. It's confirmed. They they filmed it. I'm going to be able to watch them find it. it I'm, I'm going to, I'm really going to enjoy this documentary because I know they're going to do a lot of interviews. They're, I know what the payoff is going to be at the end. Yeah. You know, they find it. Someone actually plays the game. You know, that's, they're going to show that in the, in the, in the movie. So, it makes me happy. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it's there's there's a nostalgia element to it. There is the historical element. I think I think there's an opportunity to make some wider comments about video games and the development of video games and uh, that side of the industry. Um, the hubris which, which, of assuming that people will just buy anything. Well, I mean, that's something that EA and a few other companies really, really need to learn. Oh, absolutely. Um, there definitely are some lessons here. I mean, the different. I guess the difference now is that you're mo- the risks are lower because you're not making physical products um, for a lot of platforms. But by the same token, the cost of developing AAA titles now has, has become astronomical. Absolutely. So, so the the financial risk is still just as big. So, whatever the messages that we get from this story and the documentary. I hope that some take it to heart. I don't think they will, but that would be my hope that, you know, this, yeah. this is a learning experience and yeah. I'm extremely entertained by it. I posted it on Facebook and on Twitter and I don't know why they're not going to be able to finish up this documentary and get it out quick enough for me. And it's going to be no. an exclusive on Xbox. So that's kind of cool too. Yeah. I wonder whether, um, Anybody will consider um, effectively re- redoing the ET game. Hmm. You know, it wouldn't be bad if the original programmer, if they gave him back the source code and let him do the game, take a year and do the game the way you would want to, still using the Atari Twenty Six Hundred type thing for yeah. the Atari uh, Museum app. Yeah, you know, I, there's probably so many people who own the rights to that game. Uh, no, it's probably too complicated to do mm-hmm. that now. But it'd be, in some ways, it'd be kind of interesting to take the raw design yeah. that he developed that game and then do it as a modern iOS game and see it, yeah, if you can call make it, the it work. Extraterrestrial and Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It. <laughs> it. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. Dave and I will be right back. 
curious about Nintendo? Well, check out the Nintendo Club podcast. This podcast is done twice a week. We dive into all things Nintendo. We dive into retro. We dive into current games, what we're playing, what cool Nintendo news is going on. Check it out here at the Spotlight Network, the Nintendo Club podcast. We broadcast this live out every Sunday evening starting at 8 p.m. Eastern. Check out the NintendoClubPodcast.com website for more information. Back here on Tech Fan Number 159, I am Tim Robertson. He is David Cohen. We'd love to get feedback from you. Um, and, you know, David, one of the things that we talked about last week was we'd love to hear from you guys. Even if you don't have any comments about the show or you don't have an opinion on what we talked about, we'd love to hear what you think of the show, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, we did get one of those last week. Um, I don't have it up on my computer right now, David. I don't know if you do. I am... I'm furiously searching for it because preparation is just not my vocabulary or mine. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we love feedback. We love hearing from you guys. It's, it's nice to know that you're out there. Uh, I can see the download numbers. I know how many people are actually downloading. That doesn't necessarily mean they're listening to it, but people are downloading the show and we just like to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think. Um, if you got any ideas for a show you'd like to hear us talk about an, uh, a subject, we'd love to hear that. The email address is tim at techfanpodcast.com or david at techfanpodcast.com. You could always go to the techfanpodcast.com website, leave a comment, follow it over to iTunes, and uh, give us a review there. That would really be great. It would. Did you um, find it? I'm still trying. To I, I was like, filling uh, the time as best I could there, dude. I know, I know. Here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm into my, uh, my, my Mac email now. So, I mean, it wasn't a big it, deal, but it, no, no. It was but nice I, I think no, it's the first one, and you owe the guy beer, as I said. So, <laughs> so as soon as Tim re- sent this to me, I replied back and said, "Said well, you owe him a beer." So this was Jason. Uh, and Jason said, this message for Tim and David on the Tech Fan Podcast. I want to give you guys positive feedback because I love the show. You all, you always, you always have interesting topics to talk about. Thanks and keep it up, please. Thank you, Jason. You are the first, uh, so far the only, who's responded to that request. But I'm sure there'll be more. Um, very much appreciate it. And sorry I wasn't prepared to read that straight away when Tim asked me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they love the sh- about the show. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Listen, Tim's going to make David scramble for something because he's too damn lazy <laughs> to scramble himself. Um, no, actually, it's because I'm, I've got GarageBand running recording, and I don't really like to launch other applications while I'm doing that. Because this computer's already running Chrome, Skype, uh, syncing stuff on Dropbox. It's, you know, the ET theme that I pulled over from the other machine. And uh, recording in GarageBand. So I don't like launching too many things on uh, the Mac Pro or the MacBook Pro because, eh, you know, things could happen and crash and we lose everything we've done up to that point, which would really tick both David and I off to no yeah, end. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 knock on wood, it, it's it's happened, but it's been a long, long time. I don't think it's even happened during the tech fan run here. I think the last time that that happened, we were doing either Geekiest Show Ever or My Mac. So it's been a while. But for those reasons, that's why I send stuff to David, because he just has Skype running. And if we lose him for a second, that's not a big deal. But if we lose my end of it, the show's gone. <laughs> we have to start from scratch. And quite honestly, we only have a limited uh, amount of time to do it. Speaking of uh, the show, David, one of the things, and, and as I said earlier during the whole ET con- conversation, we live in a geeky culture right now. 
Yeah. And I was going through my television earlier. I There's a lot of shows that I like on television that I don't record, but I like watching. I like the home improvement shows where people will buy a house and they'll fix it up and then they'll sell it. Uh, I don't know why. I'm always kind of curious. Maybe I'm just looking at, you know, to get ideas of what my wife and I could do to this house. Or I like to see if they'll actually finish on the time, what their budget was. Do they actually sell the house? I don't know. I kind of like it. Uh, but I also like watching a channel called Velocity. And it's all about cars. And during the dead time of programming where they don't have enough programming because it's still a relatively new channel, they show a lot of the Meacham auctions, which is uh, car auctions. They happen all over the United States. And yeah. there's commentators. And it's, it's almost like a, a football game the way they talk about it. But they're rolling up a new car every couple minutes. And I don't really I don't like that at all it's kind of boring to me it's like oh there's a nice car that someone may or may not buy and i don't care but i do like the shows where they go out and they find old cars and they fix them up and they flip them or they just they like um overhaul and where they they kind of steal this guy's car and they fix it up for him and then they reveal it to him and it's always emotional i really like that that's really cool and then of course there's just a ton of sports channels one dedicated to baseball one dedicated to uh, football, one dedicated to... If there's a major sport, there's a channel for it, right? Mm-hmm. There's even a soccer one here in the United States now. Um, what is it? The WWE even has their own, I, I guess you call it, channel on iTunes now, on the, on the Apple TV. It's like, I don't know, 60 bucks or 50 bucks or something for six months. So even they have wow. their own channel. What are we missing? There's well, no te- well, there's no big tech thing. Well, yeah, but the, they've tried to do that before. They used to be wasn't a tech was TV four, which which begat or there was tech TV which begat G four. Yeah, but it was never done extremely well, and it was never really promoted. Um, there were a few good programs on there, but the problem is they kind of focused on video games and that was it that's to them oh it's tech tv so that means video games well it can include video games but there's a huge number of different subjects you could talk about when it came to tech and having a tech television you you can do uh help you know yeah, they, you didn't call they, in they, I- I didn't, isn't that where Lilo Port started, though? But that was Tech TV. They gave up that and started G4, and G4 went for like five years, and it was nothing but video games. Oh, right. Or coverage of E3. I mean, when the E3 happened, they would have a solid week of programming, live programming from E3, and that was kind of fun. But then they would simply repeat that for the next eight months, and it got boring. So you have tech, right? You can incorporate a lot of different stuff into that. A channel where, you know, Tuesdays is Star Wars Day. Star Wars Friday. It's uh, We're going to have a special Battlestar Galactica Saturday where we show some old episodes and we do interviews and we show you some props that people have made. And um, this, this week is going to be all about Android devices. You know, there, yeah. there's so many things that you could do in tech that would translate perfectly for television. And yet, for I mean, some yeah. reason... It's just, it doesn't exist. And I think it's because the half-hearted attempt that they did try failed miserably. I think I think that's part, that is definitely part of the problem. I think it's hard to pull that sort of stuff off. I don't think so. I, th- I think it's easier than sports. No, I, I think it's hard 
for television companies oh, to yes, pull that sort of stuff right. off because unfortunately um a lot of the people who run tv companies like to interfere in the creative process mm-hmm. and what they will do and and i think from my from my limited understanding because obviously i didn't grow up in the states um that much uh, we never had cable so i didn't watch a lot of these chan- these american channels but from my understanding what happened with um tech tv going to g4 is that there was a conscious decision that they were going to focus more on video games and yep. less on on the help stuff and um you know the people who did the screensavers which was the big show that the big sort of help gadget tech shot type show really you know well they got fired or or moved on to other things uh, and i've i've you know even the podcasting era i've seen this happen i've listened to shows and watched streaming shows that have just been pulled for no reason apart from the fact that the you know revision three or whoever it is the company who makes it decides that they're going to refocus and do something else and you know that that's a, a business decision um so there, there are shows that I've enjoyed over the years that have just disappeared for, for those sorts of reasons because you, the, the hosts make it very clear they're not in support of that. They even did it here in the UK. We have um, – it's it's an hour show that's on probably about six months of the year on, on one of the channels called The Gadget Show. And it's very much the sort of program that I think you're talking about. It's fairly lighthearted, not desperately technical. The – they kind of take a Top Gear type approach to the testings they do, so they're slightly contrived um, and and have some entertainment value. So, for instance, if they're going to do testing of GPS units or anything, they'll do kind of a silly challenge of sure. racing through the streets of London or or whatever. You know, they they were famous for doing torture tests on rugged gadgets where they blow things up and all this sort of thing. So, you know, it's not it's not desperately geeky where they're comparing specs and that sort of thing and they you know they they involve guests and stuff like that they have a massive prize every week where you can win like thirty thousand dollars worth of of gadgets pretty much everything they ever review goes into this prize fund you know it's a big popular show and for many years it was exactly the same format mostly the same presenters four or five people um and then about four years ago, they all of a sudden they they sacked most of the presenting staff. They kept two of them on. They completely changed the format into a kind of a world tour testing format, and and the the viewership went dropped through the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you knew that that basically, so obviously, somebody at the channel had decided to try and and I'm I'm doing the air quotes here, shake it up a little, yep. you know, modernize it. It needs a bit of a refresh, all that sort of thing. And they torpedoed it. And sure enough, it's it's now back pretty much the same format it always was in, um, only with a slightly different presenting crew because some of the presenters they fired clearly were so upset they weren't going to come back. Sure, uh, you can't uh, blame them. You know, yeah. But, uh, and, and, you know, it's 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 for a channel five which it's on is a fairly niche channel it's not one it's not the bbc the bbc doesn't do really do anything like that um so it it, it's got a fairly small but loyal customer base enough to support they do their own they do a live show every year uh like a big uh expo type show which is apparently very successful so it's big enough for that so i'd imagine it it has a viewership of you know probably half a million to a million people something like that regular every week um that wouldn't scale out to a full channel. I don't think. No, that one show wouldn't. But you could take um, a lot of independent producers that are out there right now. You and me, for instance. If somebody wanted to create a network around technology, you know, you only really need about 
five hours of original programming a day, and then you can repeat it until the network starts growing. And during, you know, the early morning hours and, you know, early afternoon when kids are in school and people are working, that's when you have, you know, the Battlestar Galactica repeats and stuff like that. But for the original programming, go out to the Leo Laports out there and say, hey, what's your idea for an hour show? It doesn't well, necessarily have yeah. to be live, but, you know, yeah. you would need to spend five hours a week creating content for us. Yeah, well, look, that's and that's pretty much what Laporte's done. I mean, he's he's effectively created his own television channel. Right. Because that's what he does. He does three, four, five hours a day of live stuff. Yep. Um, he, he does some daily stuff, some weekly stuff, uh, and then and everything they do is videoed as well as audio, and then they they stream it when it when they're not recording. Right. Uh, and that's but the that's full-time not mainstream. Gig. It's not mainstream, but that's because he's, he, I mean, he's built it up from scratch himself and it shows you can do it well, he, incrementally. He, he has, but he did it on the back of, uh, you know, building his own, building an audience through a television and a radio show. Yeah. So people paid him to become famous and then he took that fame and well, cashed yeah, in on he's, it. He's, cap- he's capitalized on his own right. previous history. And, and I you, give him props for that, but that's not the same as you and I just. No, it's not. But having something. said that, if you and I started something, we could bring somebody from the industry along if we wanted to, to bring sure a, a larger viewership. I just think there's a, there's no. a huge potential here for tech slash geek slash nerd, if you will, whatever you want to call it. There's a huge market for that. And Nobody seems to be interested in jumping in because they keep looking to the past and going, well, it didn't work before, so why would it work now? Which is so simplistic and simple-minded that it's almost but, insulting. But that's that's uh, that's the media executive in the mm-hmm. nutshell, isn't it? You know, they are they are effectively they are bank managers. They are there to loan money in the hope of making return to, to create content, and they can be very, very risk-averse. You, 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 want, get- you want programming during the afternoon where you know kids are in school and stuff, but you, you want to show something? Here's an idea. You hire like 10 game guys, right? And you just circle, because you, you could stream all this content live now. Okay, Tuesdays are Warcraft, or uh, Starcraft. So they're playing Starcraft, these four guys are playing starcraft for two hours and you're watching it live yeah on your television the next day is these other guys and they're doing call of duty and because you know they know that it's going to be on television it's going to be streaming live there's no cursing there's none of that uh, sometimes they have to take a break so yeah. they, so you can have announcers going back and, and watching you know highlights from an hour ago <laughs> you know, yeah. You, there, there's an idea. How much would that cost them a network? Oh, it wouldn't cost them anything at all, right? But that's the point. Um, in in some respects, I think part of the problem when when that is done, or when has that has been done in the past, is it's done too cheaply. It's not. I mean, there's no middle ground really. You either spend a lot of money and do it right, or you do it on. Or people tend to spend a lot of money and try and do it right, in which case it's much more risky. Or they do it on such a shoestring that it's not that it's poor quality. I don't know. I've you watched know? what I just described on the internet before uh, for games that I own, and I sat there and watched it. If there was a Grand Theft Auto, you know, week where different people are playing GTA online going on heists and stuff together. I would totally watch that. Oh, well, and, and 
and video game streams on YouTube and Twitch TV and stuff like that are huge. Yeah. Absolutely. But the problem is, is when the mainstream industry gets into that stuff, it kind of, it, it plays polluted. up. Yeah, it plays up to the stereotypes. Yeah. So, for instance, a, you know, video games, in, in the past, it always used to be presented in a kind of a very infantile, um, you know, aimed at kids manner. Nowadays, when it's done, it's often done if if they have commentators and stuff around. They kind of do it on that whole extreme sports thing where everybody talks like this, yeah, you know, and and the and the insane graphics and everything, and and it's 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 all unnecessary, you know. Yeah. Why why present it like that? Just put David when, and I in charge. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, well, you, you could have we're, a show. We're getting kind of busy because you know we've still got that Microsoft gig to run. Well, I think that guy. I think that guy seems to be doing a good job. So we'll move on to this one instead because we actually have experience here. Um, you know, a show where you have an hour where you showcase mobile technology and, more importantly, apps. Every day you're doing an hour of app reviews. You'll never ever run out of apps to review. Now, obviously. <laughs> you're going to have to have a couple different people because nobody could ha- use that many apps and, and re- do a, a comprehensive review. But something like, you know, um, simple games. That's 10 minutes worth of content right there. You could do interviews with game developers or software developers. You know, uh, when a new product is released, whoa, great. You got programming for a whole day right there. You know, it's yeah. it, this isn't this isn't too difficult to figure out the formats. But as I say, that stuff has been going on for quite a few years now online, online. and yet no, nobody seems interested in transmitting it on TV. Well, right now, here's the problem with it being online: it's so difficult to find. Yeah. Where if it's a television channel, people are still flipping channels, David. Well, and that's the an thing. entire I, I, network. I mean, that network just simply starts advertising and all the, the really geeky video games, technology websites, podcast networks, all that kind of thing. That's where they start advertising the new network and people find it and start watching it. Yep. And I, then they I, release I, that content for free on iTunes, half of it, and build up the audience that way. I mean, that, the, the business model is not difficult to figure out. And you're not going to tell me that you know companies like Samsung or Microsoft or Google won't advertise on that network. They absolutely would. It's 100% their demographic. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just don't get it why nobody's trying it. Um, and, and I think it would be a home run. I really do. It would take a while. It would take 18 months for it to become you know, what I envision and that it could become. I'm not saying it, it's going to be an overnight isn't, success. Yeah, isn't that part of the problem is that is – that- broadcast tv does not want to spend the time no they want to show us they they want to show us seinfeld and friends rerun still they they think that's what we want well look they they still do well yes because that's all that's on of course it does well (laughs) but when somebody does something different uh outside the box it sells people want to watch it you know, HBO has a new show on called, uh, I believe, The Valley, Silicon Valley, something like that. Yeah, Silicon Valley. Uh, it comes out every Sunday. I haven't watched it on television yet. I've been streaming it on my uh, iPad. It's a, it's an okay show. I'm enjoying it. But there was a better show, exactly like it, and it was only a half-hour show, too, uh, on uh, Amazon called Betas. 
B-E-T-A-S, mm. or as you would say, betas. Yeah. <laughs> betas. And it was a, I, I like the show. It was for one season. I don't know if it's been renewed because Amazon, I, I don't know why Amazon doesn't promote what's going to happen. I mean, at least Netflix says, hey, look, we're coming back with the season three of Lilyhammer. Uh, Amazon doesn't say anything about their shows. But it's 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 almost exactly the same format. I mean, it's it's kind of sad to be honest. I'm like, wow, they're just really really copying this show from Amazon, and they're probably not because this show was in development probably before betas actually went live. Yeah. Um, but still, that's geek culture right there. And look, people are watching it. But do you think that maybe? Uh, I mean, that obviously that's an Amazon Amazon. Um, instant tv instant video show so do you think maybe that's where a tech channel could could kick off is on a something tech like- channel could kick off online if it was hosted by a major company that took a hands-off approach if, if google launched their own television network 24 7 content call it google tv or whatever but and that could work, but they would have to have complete hands-off editorial control. That means yeah. if, if if Google is in the news because they did something stupid, their channel should be able to report on it with no fear of reprisals. Like, oh, Big Daddy's going to come down and smack us because we call him stupid on our show. That's the only way that would work. The only and way. also, yeah, I, I, the also as well, I think the way it's presented is important. And, and the reason I, that comes to mind is, uh, do, you, do you read um, Tech Hive? I've been there a few times, but not right. So I, 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 um, I subscribe to their RSS feed principally because some of the stuff that IGG does now, like MacWorld and everything, um, if you subscribe to Tech Five, you get all of it rather than just the individual pieces. Right. Um, uh, and so I, I did that when they when they first launched Tech Hive, but I've been thinking about dumping it. And the reason is, a couple of weeks ago, I'm reading a story in my in my RSS reader. And I'm reading it, I'm thinking, damn, this story's strange. It almost sounds like an ad. Oh, you know, boy. it was supposed to be a review. Or it was positioned as a review. But it, I, I'm reading I'm thinking, well, it, this really isn't very independent content style at all, editorially. You know, somebody needs a, a kicking for this. And I get to the bottom of the thing, and then it says at the bottom, this is a paid-for promotion by... And basically, it was an ad. Yeah. But it was it was presented as a news article, and you didn't find out until you finished reading it that it was an ad. And you'd, on a on a, a TV channel, you'd have to avoid that. And I think that we'd be very tempted to go for the sponsored approaches. Oh yeah, this week was sponsored by Samsung, so let's tell you all about the Galaxy S five and how great it is. And you no, you're not that's okay any- as long as it's not presented as news, and they still are critical of it. That it's fine. You could have the little Samsung logo on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen presented by Samsung as long as it doesn't interfere. Look, I'm not talking about making a news program here, although you could do yeah. that, but you would have to distance you know, any kind of sponsorship from the news itself. Yeah. But for the entertainment shows, I, I have no problem if it's a video game um, streaming show and it happens to be sponsored by Call of Duty. Well, that's fine. I'm watching the Call of Duty stream. Obviously, I'm a fan of Call of Duty. You know what yeah. I mean? It, there's a yeah. fine line there, but you need someone in charge that is going to be that wall that's going to say, this is okay, this is not. You know, that's going to have integrity. And once again, David, 
That's why they need to hire us to come in and start this thing and, and get it going. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's going to be hard for you because you're going to have to move to the States. Um, um, I'm going to have to move. I can't move I, it out I of I don't, you know, I don't think I need to move to the States. The, the guys who do Dancing with the Stars, those two judges, they do the English ones. Well, they fly over every week. Yeah, Simon Cowell used to do that for um, American Idol. I'm quite happy to fly back and forth yeah. as long as somebody's picking up the tab. No, network, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So Comcast, if you guys are listening, you want to start something like this, yeah. uh, Tim at techfanpodcast.com. Hey, look, I already have access to a bunch of writers, a bunch of podcasters. I, I already own a network. Let's yeah. let's get, let's do this thing. Do we really want to do it, Comcast? So, well, they got a lot of money. They own NBC, so we'll get the promotion at least. Aren't they generally accepted to be the worst company in America? What's your point? <laughs> we can change Have you that. Not listen to this podcast, David. <laughs> we couldn't hurt them any more than they're already hurting. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and they already get my money, like two hundred dollars a month. Wow. Yeah, I know it's crazy. It's less than it used to be, though. Uh, lastly, David, for those who, uh, have problems with their iPhones, Apple came out this week and said that they have a, a fix now that they will repair your iPhone five. If it's having problems with your sleep, wake button, the little button on top. Uh, and I know a lot of people are having this problem. In fact, one of my Mac writers, uh, I think it was Donnie Yankelo, maybe somebody was having a problem. Maybe it was Rich Lefko. They were having a problem with their sleep, wake button. It wasn't working right. And uh, they took it to the Apple store and they, they couldn't help them. And then a couple of days later or a week later, Apple comes out with this uh, repair. So, how can this how can this be a thing without it being a, a gate style story all over the news? You know, I don't I mean, know. I've never heard about have, this. Well, I have heard about it. You know, having worked at a, an Apple specialist, yeah. many, many, many people came in with that problem. Now, we did iPhone uh, replacements. And if people had that problem and... Obviously, if it was under warranty, we'd replace it. If it wasn't under warranty, we'd look at the condition, talk to an Apple Care rep on the computer, and get their approval to replace the phone. And they always did. I, I can't think of a time, unless the screen was also cracked and it was obviously dropped a bunch of times. But if it was in really good shape, we'd just replace the phone with Apple's approval if it wasn't already covered under Apple Care. And uh, so this is a problem that I've seen, honestly, since iPhone 3GS. I mean, right. that, that little top button just tends to get jammed all the time. It's the it, the it it does stick up farther than any other button on the iPhone. At least it seems to. And uh, I don't know. It just seems to wear out on every model of the iPhone. So I'm glad that Apple is now replacing the iPhone 5. Um, I hope they start looking into the design of this button. Whatever they're doing since the 3GS, it's a problem, and they need to get this fixed. I'm glad well, that, they're at least acknowledging it and fixing the fives. Uh, actually, I I had my 5S replaced yesterday because yeah. the um, home button was unusually clicky and stiff. Um, so I that was uh, another problem that we saw. Yeah, well, it, it, I, I only have I've only had this phone a few weeks because, uh, as I told you, somebody left the company and and it was bequeathed to me. Yep. Um, and I thought to myself, I was I was recently I was going to put a um, well, you know, well, you can get those sheet those sheets of glass screen protectors on very yep. thin piece of glass. I was going to put those on it, but I hesitated because I thought, well, this button's kind of stiff, um, and obviously you put a sheet glass over the front of the phone. 
it makes it harder to press the button because mm. you're actually increasing the depth. And so I hesitated, and, and then it occurred to me, I'd assumed that they were all like that because of the touch sensor. So um, I picked up a couple of other people's at work and found that theirs was not. It was perfectly <laughs> normal the way I would expect it to be. Yeah. So then I did a bit of searching online and found, yeah, sure enough, this is a thing for some phones. So I went to Apple and they changed the phone out for me yesterday. So you got a, but, a um, brand new, brand new one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Funnily enough, the one I that was bequeathed to me did have a couple of marks on the um, on the uh, the metal around the edge. Yep. So uh, so now I have a flawless one. So. so they gave you the new one, and they took their keys out and scratched that one, too, and said, there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> scratch this one. Just, scratch hey, hey, Johnny, pass me the file. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, you'd sit there dumbfounded, like, what are that you doing? Be, that would be funny. That would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to wrap up another episode of Tech Fan, and uh, we'll see what happens next week. Uh, I'm available friday but again those things will, can change who knows yes i will try to be available friday i'm trying to avoid traveling on fridays because traveling last friday coming home wasn't much fun and the family's back from israel they're all back yes awesome so uh all back all good good i will see you next week david speak to you then